We at the Dave Berta Podcast join with many members of our communities and the whole country in grief over the Humboldt Broncos team bus tragedy. If you want to lend your support, there's a GoFundMe campaign happening right now at GoFundMe.com. Just look for Humboldt Broncos and you will find a place to throw your financial support to the families of the tragedy. The Dave Berta Podcast is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network powered by ATB. Find out more about the network and other amazing Alberta-made podcasts at albertapodcastnetwork.com. I'm Dave Cornoyer. And I'm Ryan Haspin. And you're listening to the Dave Berta Podcast. We're also joined by our producer, Adam Rosenhart. We're recording this episode on April 8th, 2018, and we've got a great show for you. This is a special episode. Ryan and I had an opportunity to sit down for exclusive interviews with Alberta Premier Rachel Notley and UCP leader Jason Kenney. So you will hear their answers to some questions, and then we're going to discuss what we heard. So we'll jump right into it. First up, on April the 4th, we sat down with Rachel Notley in her office. So Ryan and I are excited today to be here in the legislature building in Edmonton with Premier Rachel Notley, Premier of Alberta, leader of Alberta's New Democratic Party. Uh, thank you for making some time for us today, Premier. It's uh, lovely to be able to chat with you both. Where do you think the, the battleground is for the next election? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I, I actually think at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's sort of around uh, the kitchen tables of almost every Albertan. Uh, we've been through uh, a, an an unprecedented uh, um, challenge economically in the province, uh, a recession arguably that by some indicators is the largest in a couple of generations, if not more. And uh, and we lost over 100,000 jobs uh, at, right after we got elected as a result of the drop in the price of oil. And so uh, what we've been focused on, of course, is is uh, contributing to and stimulating an economic recovery in Alberta. But even as we're seeing, you know, 90,000 jobs created last year, we're seeing we're leading the country in economic growth, we're doing all those things. What we don't no, what we know for sure is not happening yet is that every household is feeling that recovery. And so this year, this time, we want to build a recovery that not only last, but is felt in all households. And so as far as I'm concerned, the battleground, as it were, aligns quite nicely with what I think our job is anyway, which is to make sure that all Albertans actually feel the recovery, feel a sense of optimism, and feel a sense of security arising from uh, improved economic circumstances in the province. On March the 20th, we sat down with Jason Kenney in his office. So Ryan and I are thrilled today to be here in the federal building in Edmonton with Jason Kenney, leader of the official opposition and leader of the United Conservative Party. So thank you for taking some time to meet with us today, Mr. Kenney. Welcome. Good to, good to see you guys. But we're in the federal building, but not the Sky Palace. To be yeah. clear. Yes, <laughs> that, would, that, that would be nice, but that's not where we are. And it's not part <laughs> of the tour either. So I've never seen it. <laughs> uh, so we have a few questions we'd like to pose to you that we believe the listeners of the Dave Berta podcast might find interesting. So the first one, I'll lead off. Where do you think the battleground is for the next election? Edmonton. Uh, you know, if you look at every poll that's been published since uh, the last several months, uh, uh, the United Conservative Party has a um, huge lead outside of the two big cities and a big lead in Calgary. I think we demonstrated that's for real in the calgary Lougheed by-election. And... Um, the only place where there's a race right now, a serious race, is in Edmonton. Now, that's not to take anything for granted. 
Uh, as I say to our supporters and caucus every day, we've got to stay humble, work hard, and, and earn every vote. Uh, th so things absolutely could change. But um, I, I want, I've said publicly and repeatedly that I want Edmonton to be at the heart of our strategic efforts, uh, the allocation of our resources, our time, my time as a leader, our candidate recruitment, our advertising, all of those things, uh, because I want to make sure that um, uh, Edmonton has a strong voice in what we hope will be the next government. So, Dave, what was it like to meet Jason Kenney in person? Dangerously charming, I think, is the uh, mm -hmm. is the appropriate uh, and accurate way to describe it. Uh, Jason Kenney is a professional politician in all the ways that you you can imagine, and uh, he was he made you feel good when you uh, when when made me feel good when when we went and met with him, and uh, in all the ways that a kind of professional politician would. He was engaging. He was interesting. Um, uh, you know, we weren't there to fight with him, so he was uh, he was pretty welcoming, and and he uh, I thought he was actually a fairly good sport in the interview. When you meet these leaders that you see on TV or you hear about, you know, it is always interesting to see them as people as well. Just little things like how they how they hold themselves in their thinking or the thinking about their answer. I really enjoyed the opportunity to sit down with both of them. I had met Rachel Notley before. Had you met Jason before? I had met Jason Kenny once before at the I went to the Manning Center conference in Ottawa about five years ago. Of course you did. Yeah, you know, as as Albertans do. Uh, and uh, uh, I met him briefly at a reception, one of the big receptions they had, and he was just, he was working the room, and I talked with him for about five seconds, and I told him I, I was from Alberta, and he said, oh, that's interesting, and then kind of moved on. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, no, so this is my first time meeting him as leader of the official opposition in Alberta. So what was your take on their approach to this first question. So I don't know if we explained this, but we, we told both of their offices what the questions would be, and we weren't trying to do any sort of gotcha moment uh, or anything like that, but we wanted to hear what their take would be. So what did you think about their responses to the same first question? Well, I thought Rachel Notley's was quite interesting. It's, it was a very Jack Layton response about uh, uh, the, kitchen table. the battleground being around the kitchen tables of Albertans. It, yeah. it did feel like, I think Jack Layton might have actually used those yeah. some very similar words. Um, we're gathered I, around a kitchen table right now. We are, yeah, dine, yeah, kitchen dining room table. Uh, we're like real Albertans. Yeah. Um, uh, but I think it, it goes to show the, the difference between the two of them, where they're coming from. I mean, Notley is, is the premier of Alberta, and her focus is on governing right now and Jason Kenney is a leader of the opposition he's building a party and that's his focus is, is a lot more on the politics so we've heard him talk about the polls um, so I think that's that's kind of one of the one of the key differences and I think it was an, it was an interesting interesting difference is someone who's involved in the governance versus someone who's more uh, involved in just the political side of it and, and the party building side which we'll talk about in a, in a little bit uh, one of the things that I, I found really fascinating about um, the way that uh, Premier Notley responded was that she got right into the what she knows her message deck is basically talking about the economic recovery that it's been really good we've added x number of jobs and then she pivots to but we know that some albertans are still hurting mm -hmm. and i know like months and months ago their message wasn't quite that nuanced they've they've glommed onto the notion that yeah. well, it's not all roses out there and they can't say that it's all roses out there yeah mm -hmm. so it's interesting I mean, it was almost like she was testing her messaging on you guys. Yeah, and, and I, I think they, I, I, if I recall, they started introducing that language right around or right after the Calgary Lougheed by-election. Yeah. And I mean, I think it, it, it was one of the things that they needed to do was show a little more sympathy towards individuals and, you know, people in Alberta who 
were hurt by the last by the economic downturn and may have not recovered. They may not may not be back in their jobs yet. Um, so I, I think I mean, and this kind of goes to the 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 kind of the general theme of uh, of the NDP right now is I mean I've, I've been I've been, doing tra- I've been tracking the narratives and you talk about the narratives going in going into the next election, which we'll talk about a little bit more in the next question. I don't jump too far ahead, but mm. but stability is really what what Notley is talking about, and you can see that from the recent provincial budget. They're not making any big deep cuts to. To oh, services, just, just deep debt. Well, no, no, but but we'll but but, but the, no, and that's that's yeah. that's an argument we can have. Yeah, uh, I know uh, what you're saying though. But that that's what they're trying to present over the, in, going in 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 uh, into the next election is is you know they're the stable kind of uh, grown up option is what they're trying to trying to position themselves as. Jason Kenney's answer to the question was really interesting because you know the premier is trying to think of the sort of big provincial picture. And Jason Kenney went tactical. He was like, boom, Edmonton. Edmonton's where we're going to have to and battle. Polls. And well, polls, yeah. Well, and, and the polls are looking good for the UCP. So it's kind of yeah. natural. I, I didn't expect Rachel Notley when we asked her where, where the back battleground was going to be. I didn't expect she'd say, well, the battleground's in Calgary or the battleground's in Edmonton. Because, yeah. I mean, I think I think that's not really the, the tactic that they're going to take. Yeah, and if you unpack that a little bit, I think it has more to do with the nature of their roles. You know, he is a challenger. So... He has to disrupt the status quo to earn to earn the privilege of governing, and so for him it is about cities and battlegrounds and polls, you know. And she goes right to governing because governments run on the record. And so in the May 2019 election or spring 2019, the questions she'll put to the voters are, you know, the classic: Are you better off than you were four years ago? Or here's our record: Will you trust us again? And Jason Kenney is more thinking about it tactically. You're right. That's exactly my observation mm-hmm. too. So. Did uh, any did either of their answers surprise you guys? Was there anything in there that you were like, "Oh, that's interesting"? Or I mean, not to say that it wasn't interesting, but well, no, um, because I think historically you look at the PC victories, and if you divide Alberta into three regions, and this is a gross overgeneralization, but it's Edmonton, it's Calgary, and it's everywhere else. And historically, the PC victories were Calgary, everywhere else, and Edmonton was kind of gravy. You know, they'd win four seats, they'd win eleven seats, they'd win seven or eight. It was kind of somewhere in between, but it wasn't the foundation of their majority from a math perspective. And so I think he's looking at that and, you know, without with trying to remember that anything can happen. And we all remember the 2015 election, but still you can kind of think, okay, well, Calgary's going to be probably pretty solid. The rest of Alberta is probably going to deliver mostly UCP seats. And so thinking of the next one is something that I'm personally very um, invested in is making the case here in Edmonton. I don't think you can be um, a government with credibility without having some Edmonton seats. Similar to the, not that similar, but comparable maybe to Quebec in a federal party, where technically you can win a majority without Quebec. In fact, I think the 2011 majority almost was that. But to be legitimate, you, you really do want a healthy Quebec caucus because it's part of the country and a very different perspective. And so Edmonton Although Quebec's not a third of the seats, but it is a quarter of the seats. So Edmonton is about a third of the seats, and I think it's very important for us to have some Edmonton voices. So I, I just have two two points to make uh, to to add to that in response to that. Uh, what did the polls say one year ahead of the 2015 election? <laughs> Probably <laughs> mega majority yeah. PC. No, the poll, I, I, I can't remember who. It was an April 2014 poll. I just pulled this off. I think it might have been oh. an Insa- Insights West poll. It Wild had Rose. the Wild Rose Party at 50%, yeah. the PCs at 21% support, and the NDP at 16%. And I think the Liberals were at like 
five percent. See, I'm so like committed that. to unity that I've forgotten about <laughs> so, the Wild Rose and, and PC split. I would look at that more and say, really, what that was saying was like sixty percent conservative. So, but you're right. Wild Rose, I think, led most of the time they existed. Yeah, yeah, they they did quite well. Um, when we were out, when they were outside well, of elections, once they started yeah. to get into the elections, then because they they're the perfect place to park your theoretical vote in between. Yeah, uh, a, a conservative province is dissatisfied with its conservative government, and there's a conservative party on the ballot, so it's a great place. But as I know, and many others know, when it was time to get down to the ballot box, it didn't quite translate. Mm-hmm. And and I think going back to Kenny's comment and and Notley's comments. Um, looking at the polls, I mean, right now I, I was looking looking at the polls from Calgary, which which a year or two ago we were talking about Calgary as the battleground for the for the next election. Now it looks like the UCP is is quite far ahead, and actually the NDP, um, if I recall correctly, are actually sitting at about the a very similar amount of support that they had in the last election in Calgary. They're sitting around 30, 35% in Calgary, which is around what they got in the last election. But against one opponent. But again, so. well, yeah. And 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 so the NDP, theoretically, I mean, could get the same amount of votes as they did in, in Calgary in 2019 as they did in 2015, but not do as well. And I think this goes to the challenge that the NDP faces is they have to put the UCP on, they have to be able to put the UCP on the defensive somewhere. Yeah. And right best defense is good offense. Yeah. Right? So so it's it's not good enough for for the only battleground in the province to be in Edmonton because that's not great for the NDP. So the NDP yeah. need to find a way to put the UCP on the defensive in areas like Lethbridge, um, maybe Red Deer, Calgary for sure. But Calgary, they they have to find a way to turn things around in Calgary before the next election. And I think that that's what we're hearing with Notley's narrative around. Uh, you know, there's a big economic challenge. We dealt with the recession. There were lots of job losses, and they're they're focused on stimulating the economy. But but not everybody has felt that recovery yet. I think that's part of that's part of their message. But they have to find a way to to translate that into into support in the polls, in su- to support in the next election. I, I don't I don't think it's impossible, but it's definitely a big challenge. And I think that one of the things that that Notley has to do, and I I. I, I We'll talk a little bit more about this, but I, I've been saying this for for months. Is I really think that she needs to get out there more. Um, I think that Rachel Notley is one of is is the NDP's greatest asset. I think she's great, um, and she's so good meeting with people, and and she's so good on the ground and and uh, and at, at events. Um, but I don't think they've. I, I don't get the impression that they use her fully, and I, I'm not sure what what the whether that's her advisors or whether that's something that's something with her or whether it's just the the, the busy schedule of governing, but. Yeah you know, 12 months out to the next election, I think that uh, that Albertans need to be reminded of why they voted for the NDP. And a lot of the reason, a lot of pe- people voted for the NDP in 2015 because of Rachel Notley. Absolutely. So for our next question, we asked them, what are the next 12 months going to be about? And here's the tape. So I guess really uh, uh, going moving on that front, it, that we want to uh, continue to do our work of... of um, uh, diversifying the economy and through that I mean you know uh, diversifying our markets within our current energy industry diversifying our energy industry in terms of adding value uh, and and also changing the way we do energy so not just non-renewable but also renewable and then also diversifying within our economy as a whole so we develop more more sectors and 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 build more sectors throughout the economy so and and through all of that work we're creating longer term more stable jobs so that's first thing second 
second thing is to, uh, to make sure that we continue our work of keeping life more affordable for Albertans. So whether we're talking about the school fee cuts, the cap and electricity fees, the you know, freezing tuition, those kinds of things, it's about making life more affordable for Albertans. The third thing, of course, is continuing to support those fundamental services that Albertans rely on education, health care, uh, justice system, those things that, that um, Albertans need to be able to do the work that they will do leading us out of this recession. And, and uh, the final thing, of course, is to, which we did do in this budget, which is to map out a, a careful, reasonable, balanced path to balance, um, understanding that we can do all these things and get to balance in a way that doesn't hurt families but rather supports them. So that's the work that we've laid out, the path we've laid out, and, uh, and uh, the work that I'm going to do over the course of the next uh, year. Over the next 12 months, what are, I guess, what, are, what are the next 12 months going to be for you about, as leader about? Well, the, first I would break it down. I would say that really this year is a lot about uh, solidifying the foundations of this new party. Uh, and then 2019 is all about the election, election preparedness and, and the campaign itself. So uh, we have our founding convention coming up in the first weekend of May where our members will have an opportunity to um, debate and assemble our first policy declaration. I'll give you guys a scoop that no one else knows about that we have uh, a, a, a serious problem, although a good one, in our policy process. We got over 1,300 policy resolutions. So we're trying to figure out how to compress those in a man to manageable number without um, losing any grassroots uh, direction, and uh, that so we're there's going to be a bit of a vetting process with a survey to members, a uh, regional conferences, and then we'll not everything will have time to debate on the convention floor. But coming out of that uh, in early May, we'll have our initial policy declaration uh, and our. Uh, the Constitution, our governance rules as a party, and our first elected executive. Uh, and then we'll go into uh, two things for the latter half of 2018. One will be candidate recruitment and nominations. Uh, we'll be spreading those out hopefully from June through Christmas. There might be a handful that, that, that uh, get kicked into the early part of 2019, but we hope to have the vast majority of our team in place by the end of this year. Uh, so, plus, you know, we, we've got to build 87 constituency associations, and then we have to rebuild them on the new boundaries, and uh, and then we have to train our local campaign teams, we have to raise millions of dollars. So, this, you know, there were a lot of people who were skeptical about the unity thing. One of the reasons was they said there was not enough time. And I always thought there was enough time, but just enough. We're operating under very tight timelines to be prepared for an election that starts basically a year from now. Uh, then, of course, we'll roll fully into the election preparedness mode um, in, in 2019. We're going to take a quick break to tell you about our sponsor this week, HEB Financial. All right, full disclosure, I work there. But I'm wondering if you guys have any friends who are artists. As a matter of fact, I do. I started a new position a couple weeks ago, and one of my colleagues is in a band. Well, we just did something really awesome. We opened a special branch for arts and culture. Uh, in the same building that CKUA lives in, just uh, in downtown Edmonton. And it's a specialized branch to serve the needs, the unique needs of artists and creators. Because as you might imagine, if you, I don't know, write plays or paint stuff, you're... the you way no you, money. Yeah, and the way you get income is weird. Like, that, well, no, 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 that's fair. I mean, like, it's true. Like, a lot of these people, they get 
little bits of income from all these different streams and yeah. you know financial institutions aren't really set up to understand their unique needs so we're changing all that at the branch for arts and culture and it's also got a really cool like coffee shop vibe if you guys haven't been down there cool. you should go check it out this is where CKUA was? Is. In, so on, in the right Alberta Hotel. Oh, yeah. okay. Cool. Yeah. Did, can, can you get a coffee while you're there? I think you can, yeah. I think they might have one of those one-shot coffee machines. That Will you be there? Edge. If you guys want to meet me there and hang out, maybe we could record a pod there. It'd be really and have fun. a coffee? And have a coffee. Sounds good. Yeah, so if uh, you're interested in learning more about the ATB branch for arts and culture, visit atb.com slash the branch, and maybe I'll see you there. Okay. Well, the first observation I have about what Jason Kenny said is that I think we do forget what a massive undertaking it was to unite these parties. And he's right, both from a political lens and even a legal financial lens. Some of the obstacles include things like, you know, 87 ridings, but really uh, with new boundaries and two parties coming into one, it's much more than 87. There's bank accounts to worry about. Politically, there's the whole tension between the old PCs and the old Wild Rose. And in each of 87 writings, that story is a little bit different. So in some, it's not a big deal. I sit on one, one provincial CA board, and it really hasn't been a big deal. But you know, with some of them, it has. These are the people that they went to war with the last couple times. And now they're expected to work together. You know, Sometimes the PC candidate and the Wild Rose candidate, one defeated the other. And now they have to decide who gets to run next time. Like This is a big deal. And so Jason's point that the rest of 2018 is going to be taken up by party building, I think that is an advantage to the government because they're going to be able to just govern while this is happening. But don't you think that that kind of activity is also an opportunity for the UCP to sort of recharge its base and and really put the United into United Conservative Party? Absolutely. And look at the membership list. I mean, the, the NDP have never had an overly active body of CAs, certainly not if you look at all 87. And as I've talked about before on our show, the Wild Rose membership list is huge and it's current. The financials, you know, we saw a financial report, and I'm sure Dave was going to get to it later, where the two parties have kind of comparable results, except small print, one of them started in August. And so, yeah, this is, it's, it's a great opportunity for um, revitalizing the party, but it does keep Jason Kenney and his team busy right now for this summer. And the government doesn't have to do a lot of that. Yeah. They do have to do some. They have to nominate 87 candidates. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it is a short period, that's for sure, to start to build a new party. And it's a big task to start a new party. But let's not mistake the UCP for the underdogs in Alberta politics. The UCP <laughs> has the support of what are you suggesting, the old Wild Rose Party. It has the support of the old PC party, at least those who haven't gone over to the Alberta party. So most of the former PC like infrastructure. 49 of them. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and and it also has the support of the Conservative Party of Canada. So, this hold is, on, the, hold on. The, the, these are not like the underdogs. This is not like the, like, you know, the, the, <laughs> just little old little old UCP, Dave. We haven't accomplished anything yet. We've won one two seat. million dollars in like four months. I mean, our this, electoral this is, record is one for one. One time it's been on the ballot. You're and you're batting a thousand, man. That's, that's, yeah, we should quit while we're ahead. <laughs> well, you're right. Like a great idea. You know, it's funny though. So. Obviously, you've got a point, but it is funny how the opponents also were so quick to rush and say, well, one plus one doesn't equal two in this case. So which is it? I think it's somewhere in between. But I do the think Alberta party, if you <laughs> I think the, I think the federal comparison is a good comparison. If you look at the last couple elections, the federal party in Alberta earns way more votes. 
than the two provincial parties put together. I don't think normal people track Wild Rose, PCAA, PC, CPC. When I was door knocking in 2008, honestly, people thought Harper and my party were the PCs. And so my nerd instinct at first was to kind of say, well, no, actually, you know, we're, we haven't been united since 1993 or whatever. And then I realized, like, why am I fighting this? The PC brand is so strong. Conservative equals PC. Let's all move on. So when you were door knocking, you were like, hi, I'm Ryan, the devil you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was amazing. And part of when I was door knocking was right at the end of Stelmac. And people were so angry at the Stelmac government that I just had to say, no, no, no I'm with the Harper conservative. Keep, keep in mind, you were running in Edmonton Strathcona. The heartland of conservatism. Yeah, yeah. so, the, you know, there's, there are a lot of new Democrats in that right. You had some other challenges there, for sure. So the, the other interesting thing, of course, is what the Premier had to say. And as with question one, while Jason talked tactics, she spoke of governing. And so there's a couple highlights. I'll just run us through them. The first point she made was about the first point she made was about diversifying the economy. The second one she called keeping life affordable for Albertans. The third was uh, supporting the fundamental services. She listed healthcare, education, and justice. And then the fourth one, which gave me a rash, was <laughs> our careful plan back to balance. Well, it was a little more complicated than that. It was a series of of she was describing a series of steps. She was mapping out a path. Back to balance, which means they don't even know where the path is yet. But but it's a careful, responsible, balanced path yeah. to balance. And again, to again, balancing maybe to maybe one day having things in balance. I, I again though, like it, it, these feel like the pillars of the, their campaign. Mm -hmm. Like these are the things they're going to run on. Absolutely. And what they've been able to accomplish within each of those categories, for yeah. sure. And 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 what it also does, I mean, it provides a narrative for their for their campaign going into the next election. But it also helps the help also provides them with a contrast, what, what they hope to be a contrast to the UCP. So if I'm sitting in the in the NDP war room into the next going into the next election, uh, I want to create a a narrative that says we're going to do these things, and the UCP is going to do the absolute opposite. So the UCP is not going to create more longer term stable jobs. They're not going to make life more affordable to Albertans. Instead, they're going to jack up school fees. They're going to jack up tuition. They're going to blow up hospitals, close schools, lay off nurses and teachers. Give wedgies to everybody. Uh, they're going to they're going to slash. They're going to balance the budget, but they're going to do it on the backs of Albertans, and they're going to do it on the backs of the people who. Who uh, who make life life good the quality and, good the quality of life good for Albertans and we'll go down to the SPCA and slap the puppies. <laughs> well, we'll see what's what's what comes out of the UCP policy convention. <laughs> Jason Kenny's puppy slapping policy sounds horrifying and also hilarious. That'd be a great attack ad. So yeah. we know that math is hard, but I was running a couple numbers here. So it's interesting in their budget summary document. It says um, with a few sort of. Uh, like you said, words in there for variability, that they have a balanced target of 2023. So if you do the math, if there's an election in 2019, then you have 2020, 2021, 2022, 2023, which means that they're planning on balancing right before their next election where they would be seeking a third term. So I think that's probably somewhat deliberate. One of the things that kind of, um, I think the UCP is going to have to make this case is that this accumulated debt that everyone was talking about in their own budget talked about by 2023 it would be $96 billion. So I ran some numbers and by comparison in 2017, the net accumulated debt in Ontario is 318 billion. 
Um, also, disclaimer, we should check these numbers. So that, if you give us a uh, proportionate sort of per capita comparison, we're about 36% of their population. So 2017 Ontario debt is about $114 billion, not least talking about in 2023 being at $100 billion. So let's call them about the same. So in 2016-17, the Ontario government spent what would be equivalent to 4.1 sorry 4.1 billion dollars in debt services if it was ours 4.1 billion dollars to service the debt and in the Alberta 2018 budget education spending was about 15 billion so what she's saying is if we follow their plan by 2023 we'll be spending a third as much on the debt as we are in education debt servicing by that point would be the number 3 item on the budget so it's not ideological i think Paul Martin was the one to say Math is not ideological. The arithmetic will overwhelm you if you don't get a hold of it. So what, what I think is alarming is it's not just a political principle to get to balanced deficit. It's, it's math. And I don't, I don't know how Alberta will ever dig itself out of that hole if we actually followed their plan. Well, is this all things being equal, like the no introduction of like a provincial sales tax, for example? Their own budget 2018. This right. is using their own budget 2018 okay. forecast. So they're planning on a 2.1% um, annual growth. They're hoping the pipeline will be fruitful. Well, and, and, and they're they're really doing what every Alberta government has done since the dawn of time is hope that pray hope and pray that the price of oil goes back up. Well, and the one Redford budget, I forget which year, basically banked on like a hundred and four dollar barrel, which even even at the time everybody was saying that's crazy. Yeah, and I think I think if I I, may, I might be mistaken, but I believe this the price the price projection the price of oil projection in this budget was fifty four dollars, which is actually from what I understand is actually seen as fairly fairly conservative. But I I think that the the challenge I mean I I was disappointed that Joe Cece didn't appear to have a good answer to this question. Which they had to know was coming. Which they had to know was exactly they had to know this was coming, and I think that this question the question of the uh, the you know ninety six billion dollars in debt by twenty twenty three, uh, I think that w- makes a lot of I think there's that number alone makes a lot of Albertans uneasy and it and probably makes a lot of New Democrats in the uneasy as well. Yeah. Um, so it's it's kind of shocking to me that they didn't seem to have a good response or didn't see that question coming. I mean, so then yeah. then it became then then that became the news story and they lost they lost control of the yeah. message on Budget Day, um, which I thought was was well I just felt it was pretty disappointing they didn't see that coming the premier articulates some of this concern well about being careful keeping life affordable supporting fundamental services not slashing and burning you know she refers to the 90s client years and so that is true and that's you know that it's important not to do that and for Albertans to not feel slash and burn on the other hand you've got at the the other side this disaster that's coming in slow motion and so I think the challenge maybe is to convince the voters one is worse than the other. So the UCP government is able to say, look, for $4 billion in debt servicing, you could pay for a lot of all this stuff. The NDP government, or I guess the NDP campaign is going to say, yeah, but in the meantime, we need these services. And so we all live through the client years. We all have that for good or bad. And so it's going to be a really, like truly this might actually be the mythical campaign about ideas. Well, probably not, but it could be about the best way to deal with this. Do you do you rush to balance and take some drastic steps, or do you hope that the budget will balance itself and in the meantime keep services high? Well, I, th- I think that's the. I mean, that's that's the challenge facing the Alberta government. In Alberta, I mean, we're you know the 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 economy is starting to recover. Uh, 
jobs are being created, but the government still has a huge revenue hole. And a lot of that hole was created when the price of oil dropped. And the price of oil hasn't really recovered to the levels that it was before. So I think when Jim Prentice was premier, there was a $10 billion hole in the budget in terms of, of revenue that they had previously had. Uh, so if, I mean, the because we have a young, very young population, we have a growing population in Alberta. Um, I mean, people, Albertans are... There's demand for public services like healthcare, like education. Education's huge. The number of schools that they're they're good that are gonna that are being built right now and that are gonna have to be built, yeah. uh, because there's so many young kids in living in Alberta and being born. Um, uh, so the question is is how does the government deal with that? And and one of the things that I think the NDP is reluctant to deal with, to deal with, uh, and unfortunately I think a lot of a lot of Alberta governments have been reluctant to deal with is this revenue problem. Is that so long as we are dependent. So over, the government is so overly dependent on revenues from oil and gas revenues so yeah. that, that, that are unpredictable, that are, are set to international prices that we have no control over. Uh, we're going to be having these roller coasters where some years we run massive surpluses and some years we run massive deficits. So that's where the question of stuff like a sales tax, ideas like a sales tax comes in, which we're told again and again is politically unpalatable. And I don't expect the NDP will run on it in the next election. Uh, I don't expect any party will run. Well, maybe the Liberals or the Alberta Alberta Party, maybe we might run on it. I think um, the Alberta Party will. Yeah, you think so? Just to, just to be different. Yeah. Because there's a fiscal case there. And then they can say, look, both of these parties are ideological and they're afraid to come up with the real solution. And yeah, exactly. Helps differentiate them from, from the other two parties. Um, but I mean, I think that's a real, that, that is one of the real long-term questions is, uh, you know, do... You know, there's going to be have to if 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 there if they are going if we are if we are on a balanced or we, if we are mapping out a balanced path to a balanced to balance in the future, I mean, there's going to be have to be some some uh, looking at spending and some looking at revenue. But the revenue side is really something we have to look at if we, if we want stability in the future. And I think that's something that's that's kind of a, it's a long term issue that yeah. that uh, that isn't going away anytime soon. Well, and the one structural thing that I will definitely concede you're right on is natural gas. You know. It's probably never coming back from a percentage of the revenue income that it was, even in the Snellmac days. So one of the things that you talked about in the beginning is how good or effective of a politician Jason Kenney is. And I think the same can be said of Rachel Notley. We have two politicians here who really are second to none in the country in terms of political performance. You know, Jason Kenney probably could have won the federal leadership. Rachel Notley would be doing way better <laughs> than the federal leader of her party is. So I really believe these two have nothing. There's no better political performers in the country. And we're about to watch the two of them go at it, which I think as political nerds is great. And we had a chance to get a taste of that with our third question, which was a little bit just more fun, where we asked them something that the voters may not know about them. So here we go. Well, I think uh, since I've got elected, they know a lot more than they did before. So it's, I'm not sure what's left, but I will say um, probably not everybody knows that when you put a family-sized bag of uh, Miss Vicky's jalapeno chips in front of me, I can finish it off in <laughs> under five minutes. Uh, wow. And in fact, I can't not finish it off in under five minutes. <laughs> That's impressive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. It's, it's really quite something. I just did it last night. It's really worrisome. But anyway, yeah. So maybe that's something that uh, has not made the headlines yet. I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's what we had in mind. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you. Also, Kramer. I love, I love uh, our craft beer and I've become a new uh -huh. fan of IPAs. Oh, excellent. What's your favorite mm -hmm. one? 
well, I like uh, Bench Creek is is uh, really good and Blind Man. I'm yeah. a big fan of Blind Man. And, they're really uh, good. Out of Lacombe, right? Yeah, 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 they're out of Lacombe. And uh, oh gosh, now you know there's so many good ones in my riding now, and I'm forgetting the folks that I keep running into, and I feel really bad about it. But honestly, the if it's local and it's uh, an IPA, um, I'm a fan. What is the one thing that voters may not know about you? Hmm. Um, let me think. That I, I don't know, I used to play rugby. It's unlikely, I know. Um, uh, that, uh, I, I know, how about this, that I was vice president of the Young Liberals. Pardon me. <laughs> you probably knew that, Ryan. Uh, I was Ralph Goodale's executive assistant. How's that? In Saskatchewan. Uh, when he was leader of the, of the Susca- liberal opposition in Saskatchewan, uh, where I grew up, and I was hired to be his EA at the ridiculous age of, like, I think, 19. And But before that, I'd been vice president of the Young Liberals in Saskatchewan. I was on the National Liberal Party Policy Committee. I was a huge John Turner guy. Wow. And... Um, and so, and I, when I went down to college in the States, I helped to start the, dem, refound the dormant uh, Democrat Party Club on my campus. And I was the campus, I'm telling you lots of things people don't know. I was the campus coordinator for the Al Gore 88 Democrat primary campaign. Okay, that one wow. I didn't know. That, yeah, that's <laughs> I knew the other one. ones, but wow. Al Gore 88. Well, we have learned something we did not know, and our listeners heard it here. I think these may be scoops. <laughs> he, he hadn't yet come out with the inconvenient truth yet. So. <laughs> he was kind of the blue dog Democrat. Right. He, was, he was the... Um, um, but, yeah, so I, I, that was my, my liberal youth. My grandfather, another thing I'm telling you way more than you want to know, was that a lot of people don't know this, he was Canada's most famous musician in the 1930s and 40s. He was Canada's biggest big band dance band leader and was absolutely a household name uh, and was a lifetime member of the Liberal Party of Canada. What so, instrument did he play? Saxophone, clarinet, piano, sang and arranged music too. Wow. Yeah. wow. And in fact, at the National Music Center in Calgary, they've got a little kiosk with his instruments there that we donated. So a couple things just to start. One, I would love to watch the premier hoover up a bag of Miss Vicky's jalapeno chips. I wonder if she would do it as a fundraiser or something. I mean, she's Ooh. very small. Yeah. Like you, you, us three maybe taking down a bag of chips is one thing, but I don't know. But I don't know if I believe her on this one. The other thing I loved about that whole response was, first of all, from both of them, you just get like really interesting, genuine little factoids and stories. But Again, Rachel Notley, the consummate politician, goes right back on message talking about craft brewing. Yeah, she catches herself. I mean, I don't want to be cynical about it. No. But she t- she gives us a humorous joke, and then she's like, oh, and back to campaign 2019. Let me remind you. And I was going to ask her if Joe Cece is adding to his portfolio to also become the minister of <laughs> microbreweries. Yeah. yeah, you know, I've been to a few festivals that the premier has also been at, and it's... Uh, I always see her in the beer garden, so I have no doubt that she likes having uh, some beer, and local beer is fantastic. And I think, I think Jason Kenney is more of a Guinness guy, so this might become a bit of a political issue for them. Ooh, oh, boy. Oh, that sounds controversial. Well, there are stouts that you can buy, Alberta stouts. Yeah, and we all know there are uh, you know, dozens, if not hundreds, of excellent craft beers here in Alberta, as, uh, as we hear constantly from the government of Alberta press releases. And uh, our Minister of Finance, too. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Joe, we know Joe Cece loves craft beer. <laughs> Maybe they would help build a beer pipeline to export Alberta craft beer out. That sounds like something John Horgan could get behind. I don't know, guys. One pipeline at a time. 
Um, the, the question I have for maybe more you, Dave, than you, Ryan, was uh, the dangerously charming Jason Kenney's uh, couple of stories that were really interesting. Did you know that he worked for a couple of liberal or ha- – I guess held some liberal ideals back in the day. I knew I'd I'd heard that he'd I'd read that so I, I knew that he'd worked for Ralph Goodale as as an EA and he was involved in the in the liberals in Saskatchewan. Uh, what I didn't know is about him helping restart the Democratic Party club at the university he went to. Al Gore. The yeah, and supporting Al Gore in in nineteen eighty eight and and I mean Al Gore was I mean as he said in the interview Al Gore was a different kind of politician back then in the in the 80s he was Tennessee Democrat yeah senator from Tennessee blue dog Democrat I mean I don't think he was like the traditional racist blue dog Democrat from the south uh but (laughs) but uh, but I mean he wasn't this kind of uh uh, liberal icon like he is right now I wonder if that's going to form a somewhat inconvenient truth for uh some folks on the left can can we find photos of of jason kenny at uh, al gore rallies maybe we'll we'll see what we can do look at look up what's what's in the student newspaper from uh from uh from his time down in the states i thought his comments about his grandfather were very interesting as yeah. well and definitely something most people wouldn't know yeah we didn't ask him if he played an instrument though Oh, That'd be an interesting thing to know, J- Jason. If you're Mr. Kenny, Jason, if you're if you're listening right now, uh, we'd we'd be interested to know if you've uh, you know if you've inherited some of the musical talents of your of your grandfather. It's probably pushing it a little hard for us to get back to their staffs and say we want to do an event where the premier takes down a bag of chips <laughs> and Jason Kenny will play an accordion <laughs> just for our audience. It's not, not 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 quite Stephen Harper at the piano, but Jason Kenny at the accordion would definitely be something to watch. Actually, there are two. I think there are two MLAs in the legislature who uh, who do play the accordion. Uh, Richard Starkey and Marlon Schmidt. Why do you know that? So they could be Why they could they could be the tri- the, the accordion caucus, the, <laughs> the trifecta. The, the federal conservative caucus used to have a men's quartet. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow! Indeed. Interesting. Well, I found it very interesting, and again, these are two political titans that are about to go at it. You know, we've already seen a little bit of it in the question periods, but I truly am looking forward to the next twelve months and the campaign at the end. I think Albertans are going to be really tuned in you know this is going to be i don't know if it's a high turnout election or not but it's going to be a high engagement election and it's going to be a blast to cover it absolutely there's uh you know like you said we have two uh incredibly interesting um very politically engaged and 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 passionate leaders of, of the two political parties who are going to present two very different political paths for the province of alberta uh, and I think that, I mean, it'll be interesting to watch them engage over the next 12 months and going into the next election and and watch Albertans in, also engage in, in the election. Well, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'd like to thank our producer, Adam Rosenhart, for helping us to put this episode together. And a huge thanks to the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. We're a member now, and we stand with many other Alberta-made podcasts. Speaking of which, Adam, I understand that we are now approaching the last couple episodes of the expats. Yeah, so I'm going to do like a a couple of wrap-up episodes. One of them is going to be kind of a recap, I guess. I'm going to do that. I'm going to go pick a few of my favorite interviews and and do an episode uh, of those. And then I think the very last episode, I will be interviewing the first woman I interviewed in the first episode, who's still living in Dubai. Is this like Q in... (laughs) Yes. Uh, What's the first episode called? Encounter, Encounter at, at Farpoint. Point. Yeah, and then This Is All Good Things will be the, the last episode. So. And we just lost a third of our audience. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe not. Or maybe yeah. not. Well, I, I can say as a, a longtime listener of uh, and a dedicated listener of the expats, I have uh, really been... Uh, I've really enjoyed listening to, uh, to all your interviews over the past couple of years, Adam. And I've even at one point felt... 
like maybe I should move overseas and become an expat <laughs> so that I could be, uh, you know, be a, a subject and, and, and get interviewed on your podcast. But unfortunately, I've, I mean, fortunately, I've stayed in Edmonton this whole time. And so. then and then we started doing the show. So, yeah, you don't have to do and, that. And we're thrilled to have you here. <laughs> Thanks, Visit the Alberta Podcast Network dot com for the expats and all other Alberta Podcast Network shows. Also, we're doing a little contest. We want you guys, you listeners, guys and girls, everyone to uh, submit reviews for the show wherever you get your podcast. So if you leave us a rating and review between now and March 31st, you'll be entered into a draw for fabulous prizes, which we're still in the process of sourcing, but I'm thinking maybe a family-sized bag of Miss Vicky's jalapeno cheddar chips will be part of the prize pack. Or, or a tour of the Sky Palace. <laughs> well, that's impossible to get. Well, we, we shall see. We'll see what, what strings we can pull. In any case, for those of you who have already uh, submitted reviews, We'll grandfather you in. You're, you're entered into the contest. But here's the trick. If you have left a review, you need to email podcast at daveberta.ca with a screenshot of your review. Otherwise, we won't know who you are. Awesome. You can also send us your feedback or ask us any questions you have for our next episode. You can catch us on Twitter at, at DaveBerta or on the DaveBerta Facebook page. Or you can email us at podcast at daveberta.ca. Thank you for listening. You call this Dave Burger? How come you don't get your equal billing? Well.